I have absolutely no pleasure in the stimulants in which I sometimes so madly indulge. It has not been in the pursuit of pleasure that I have periled life and reputation and reason. It has been the desperate attempt to escape from torturing memories, from a sense of insupportable loneliness, and a dread of some strange impending doom. Hello and welcome to episode 216 of Under the Call of MS. Little Edgar, Edgar Allen, Edgar Allen Poe quote there about drugs. And we are going to talk about a variety of MS things today. I'm going to do a bunch of little MS segments. Little MS, basket full of MS, health and segments because yesterday I was delivered my new drug maven cloud and I was supposed to start today but now today I am getting a different type of vaccine for some other things so since I'm getting that injection they want me to wait two weeks after this vaccine before I start my Maven Cloud. Uh, the vaccine I am getting done today is the Hep AB, Hepatitis AB vaccine, the second month's dose, and then I think I get my final dose in six months. Don't know what this is all for. It's for something that they to prevent something because of some stuff they found out with my body at one of my other appointments that I talked about, but I'm not exactly sure what this is all set up to prevent or whatever. So at least we'll get started with the Maven Clod in two weeks from today or tomorrow. I'm not sure if I'm going to start it on the Wednesday or the Thursday when I do it, because I'm just trying to figure out, it'll be a five-day regiment of pills that I will be taking. So I'm thinking if I do Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or if I want to do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I don't know, we'll see. It's just going to suck, because no matter what, my middle of my one-week pill regiment's going to be Landing around a Saturday and when we do the uh, Call Comic Club podcast live on video. Well, not live, but it's on video. And then pretty much goes up later that day or whatever. But, well, the audio version does. <laughs> I suppose it doesn't really matter how I look because the video versions are way behind and probably won't be caught up by then anyways, so. But, yeah, we'll see. I just, from what I've heard about how people have felt, I don't know if I will be doing the video podcast right after or during these medications. We'll see. This is, a like, a heavy chemo pill that just wipes out our system, so kills off most our 
BNT cells, and I'm just going to play it by ear and see what happens. But a lot of people I'm seeing on the sites go through all kinds of pains, discomforts, sickness, tiredness, just feel like absolute crap and some that don't. So who knows? Some that deal with it for a few days to a week, some that deal with it the whole year. And say I got basically five pills for one month, five pills next month, and then nothing for the rest of the year. And then a year from now we'll do it again. Five pills for the first month, five pills for the second month, and then nothing for the rest of that year. And then from what I'm learning, I don't think you can stay on this medication for year three and beyond because of how it wipes out your system so badly. I don't think it's designed to keep going on that medication. So I don't know what's going to happen. I just, <clears throat> I was looking forward to Maven Clad. Now the closer I get... <laughs> Unless I'm looking forward to it. And I'm kind of wishing I would have went the Sabri route or something. <laughs> but then I'd be dealing with more infusions all the time or something like that or injections or whatever. But we'll see. We'll see what this has to do. I'm not thrilled at all about killing my system and wiping myself out. So We'll see what happens, but today we're just going to talk about a variety of MS segments while I'm getting a needle shoved in my body somewhere. <laughs> and then tomorrow we'll hopefully get back to you with a regular Thursday show and let you know what's up and what's going on as we progress with life and its wonderful things it has to offer. So We'll be right back with a bunch of different MS segments. Time for another MS health segment. Let's talk about the stress of living with a chronic illness. Being diagnosed with a long-term health condition can be frightening and disorienting. Once you move beyond the initial shock of your diagnosis, it's helpful to learn how to cope with the daily stresses of living with your illness. Basically, once you get done doing deep dives and tons of stuff that's going to scare the shit out of you, now you can sit there and deal with it. <laughs> Everyone is susceptible to the effects of stress. However, living with a long-term condition can make you particularly vulnerable. In addition to the everyday challenges that most people face, chronic illness adds new layers of stressors. For example, you may need to cope with pain or discomfort from your symptoms, take steps to manage your condition and practice self-care, adjust to new limitations that your condition puts on your life, manage increased financial pressures, and cope with feelings of frustration, confusion, or isolation. You can take steps to maximize your quality of life and minimize the challenges of life with a long-term illness, use the following strategies to help cope and regain control. And understand when you're living with your long-term condition, it can be helpful to learn everything you can about the symptom and treatment options. Talk to your doctor. You can research online. 
definitely pay attention to your own body. Pay close attention to what what seems to ease your symptoms or make them worse. Use a notebook or calendar or whatever to record different things when they're happening, different stressor points, all that stuff. Keep track of it's helpful when you talk to your doctor. You can kind of show them, go over some notes with them, let them know how you were on certain days, how often things happen, stuff like that. Become a self-manager, uh, serving as, date, as the day-to-day manager of your own health may help you gain a sense of control. Basically, your life is now your condition. So if you're dealing with a chronic condition, that becomes your life pretty much. It's important to take prescribed medications as directed and, and attend scheduled health care appointments. Uh, it may help to set up a reminder system in your calendar, daily planner, your smartphone, other daily decisions that affect your actions and lifestyle can shape how effectively you circumvent stress like eating nutritious foods and getting enough exercise may help boost your mood improve your mobility and ease your symptoms you should also take steps to manage your attitude emotions and relationships the all-encompassing nature of chronic illness and the ways it disrupts your life and plans can elicit a wide range of emotions Some responses may include stress, grief, rage, fear, depression, anxiety. Play around with some different ways of managing your stress and painful emotions. When you find a technique that works, incorporate it into your daily or weekly routine and write it down so you remember. Just basically build your whole life and routine around Everything that you can health-wise that can help with any type of issues from stress to anxiety to emotions to health benefits, anti-inflammatory items and stuff like that. Some ideas include exercising, stretching, listening to music, deep breathing, meditation, writing in a journal cooking, reading, spending quality time with family and friends, going out and enjoying nature, spending time with pets. Uh, It's good for both you and the pet to get out and about instead of locking them up in cages too. It may help to schedule time in your calendar for regular breaks and self-care. Relationship management is also important when you have a chronic condition. You may find that you have limited energy and time available for socializing. Some friends or family members may not understand the challenges you're facing. Making smart choices about where to focus your time and energy can help you live your best possible life. Focus on the relationships that are most important to you. Let go of the relationships that add more stress than than support to your life. Keep the negative away. Keep the poison out of your life. Don't need it. Poisonous people are just a waste of time. All it does is get you amped up, stress you out, shorten your life in the long run. And why? Because something some dumbass said.
Just get them out of your life. You don't need that shit. You don't need people that rely on you to give them things, take you, take them places, do things for them. But yet, in the long run, they're not going to turn around and do shit for you. I've helped and taken care of so many people throughout my life. Promised all kinds of things, be taken care of and all that shit. And then when your body breaks down, something happens to you, those people just disappear. Don't give two shits. You're not you're not a benefit to them anymore. So they're not gonna waste their time around you because they don't wanna be stuck hit in and on ending up helping you out with things. They just wanna want the one way system where they benefit and screw you. Attitude and approach can make a big difference to your quality of life and it's important to Develop a healthy acceptance of the lifestyle changes that your condition requires. It also helps to develop confidence in your ability to live with these constraints. You can take control of your life in ways that make a difference to your everyday experience by approaching your condition with adaptability and confidence. Develop new skills and habits and take a problem-solving approach to figure out what works best for you. You'll be better able to manage challenges as they arise. It's like when I have my tippy folly episodes out in public and stuff, I just play along with them and have fun with them, put a smile on my face, deal with it. It's like ignore as much as you can around you, the environment around you, the people criticizing you, looking down on you. Basically talking about you as much as you want to just hope that their whole family and everyone they know gets <laughs> some worse thing than you got so they can learn to live with shit and then you can see what it's like when people see them being down and out and it just doesn't pay to think that way. Just... Brush it off, put a smile on your face. Maybe send a little finger in there if you have to. <laughs> but yeah, it just doesn't pay to stress out and burn your body out in the long run. Just walk away. Living with a chronic illness can be stressful, but you can take steps to manage your condition and maintain a good quality of life. Learn as much as you can about your illness and treatment needs. Be proactive about following your treatment plan and leading a healthy lifestyle. Make time for activities and relationships that leave you feeling happier and supported instead of down and out while avoiding people and things that stress you out. By adjusting your expectations and practicing self-care, you can make your health and well-being a priority. Yeah, if you need to, some things that you can do to help you out with living with a chronic illness, ask people for help. Uh, having people around can make your life much sweeter and easier. So if you need help with something, don't feel, feel bad about asking for some help. Uh, 
sometimes life doesn't go the way you plan being diagnosed with a chronic illness is a crash horse in that in that truth uh basically keep your life as joyful and stable and fulfilling as you can acknowledge a fear that's playing out in your mind uh like I, I'll develop mobility impairments that keep me from being able to go hiking with my friends. And just know that if you're navigating, if you're navigating fears about an uncertain future, it's not a good thing. Uh, just work with the items as they come and adapt to them when they come. Don't expect everything to happen to you. So a lot of things may not ever happen to you, and you may get a lot of things. It doesn't know, but it's better to work with them as it comes, one by one, instead of just stressing out and worrying about each individual thing that may happen, getting yourself all fearful from it. See, imagine one or more helpful ways you could respond to that fearful situation. Uh, yeah, it's like just work it out, manage your stress, manage your resources, feel your feelings, take a break from your feelings, don't have to focus on them, especially if they're anything bringing you down, uh, just be your own best friend, but <laughs> just stay positive. Keep a happy life. Kick the shit out of monster. And we'll get back with more good health stuff in the future. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's look into some science-backed benefits of indoor plants. Many people enjoy living and working in cultivated green spaces. It most like having beautiful plants around, but is there more to it? Here are some benefits science says indoor plants may provide. They may reduce stress levels. They found that plants in your home or office can make you feel more comfortable, soothed, and natural. So that's good when you have a chronic illness. Found that indoor gardening task lowered the stress response in participants. The computer task, on the other hand, caused a spike in heart rate and blood pressure. Even though the study participants were young men well accustomed to computerized work. So basically you get you need you get the benefits from the real environment, not the virtual environment. <laughs> so. hmm. But basically, working with plants could reduce both psychological and physiological stress. Real plants may sharpen your attention. Plastic plants won't help you pass your exams. In a small study, uh, they found that either a fake plant, a real one, a photograph of a plant, or no plan at all was given to 
uh, for, um, some students in the classroom by researchers. And brain scans of the participants showed that students who studied with real live plants in the classroom were more attentive and better able to concentrate than the students in the other groups. Working with plastic or working with plants can be therapeutic. People experiencing the symptoms of mental illness, indoor gardening can be helpful. They've used horticultural therapy to increase feelings of well-being among people with depression, anxiety, and dementia, and other conditions. Plants may help you recover from illness faster. Being able to look at plants and flowers may speed your recovery from an illness, injury, or surgery. Most research focuses on plants and natural scenery in hospital settings rather than at homes. Plants may boost your productivity. A bromelide may turn out to be the best cubicle mate you've ever had. Multiple studies have found that plants in the workspace increase both productivity productivity, and creativity. Plants may improve your whole outlook on work. A view of the city park might improve any anybody's job satisfaction, but it might surprise you to learn that a potted plant could have a similar effect, especially if you're some poor bastard like the guy in office space stuck in a basement with no windows. Uh, Plants may improve the quality of indoor air. Scientific support for phytoremediation. That's the word for plant scrubbing contaminants from the air. Usually begins with a study conducted in the 80s. Well, that's a NASA study in the 80s conducted that. Researchers... Back then, we're looking for ways to improve the air quality in a sealed spacecraft, craft, which makes sense. And they concluded that the roots and the soil of the house plants reduced airborne volatile organic compounds, VOCs, significant, significantly. I can't speak today. Since those early studies, researchers have both confirmed these findings and called them into question, of course. If you decide to purchase house plants to freshen the air naturally, here are several of the species shown to be most effective are areca, A-R-E-C-A, lady, dwarf date, and bamboo palms, Boston fern, a rubber tree, fighter plant, or a ficus tree, ficus tree. Choose indoor plant varieties that are safe for pets and children. It's nearly impossible to find find a complete list of toxic plants, but plants may be dangerous for children or pen or pets. Plants that may be dangerous dangerous for children or pets. I just cannot talk today. Sorry, this is just a bad day. Uh, 
a, here's a brief summary of some of those plants. Yet amaryllis, aloe vera, azaleas, chrysanthemums, cyclamen, diephenbachia, <laughs> English ivy, jade, jonquillus, lilies of many varieties, and the ones of death lily <laughs> after all, isn't it? Morticia's favorite. Uh, mistletoe, monstera del deliciosa, philodendron, poinsettias, pothos, sago palm, an umbrella umbrella plant. This is far from a complete list. Doesn't say which ones affect children or pets or both. And I believe also that little mistle, mistletoe thing that you put up for the holidays, some people put up, that's highly poisonous, I believe, to animals. But, yeah, there's lots of them out there if you research it some. Uh, having plants in your home or office confers a lot of ben benefits, but there are some risks involved too, so keep that in mind. You want to have an indoor garden or something like that. Be alert to pest infestations. House plants can operate like a Trojan horse for insects, molds, and other other plants. I've seen that in my past, but just check the leaves for pest signs like eggs, webbing, holes. So you can nip an infestation at the, in the bud. Um. Some house plants may trigger allergies or asthma. If your allergies or asthma symptoms are worsened by pollen. You might be relieved to learn that most common house plants don't produce much pollen, but some cut flowers such as daffodils can produce pollen. So watch out for things like that. Having plants in your home or office can be a source of pleasure. Indoor gardening relieves stress, boosts creativity, productivity, and focus, and promotes recovery. And you can also just do like an herb garden or something if you want something simple. There's some evidence that house plants may positively influence the air quality in your home as well. It's important to know which plants are toxic if you have children or pets in the home. If you have asthma or allergies, be alert to species that aggravate your symptoms sharing your living or working space with living breathing plant life can make your environment a happier healthier place to be so, some easy house plants that can also possibly benefit you uh, that are easy to take care of basically Besides instantly boosting the home's aesthetic, studies show that being surrounded by greenery can help with cleaning the surrounding air, creating a sense of well-being, and enhancing your life. Uh, for a reminder to break toxic ties, try aloe vera. Aloe vera is probably one of the most 
liked house plants simply because it has so many benefits. Uh, as far as caring for it, it's where to put it. You can take advantage of aloe vera's benefits, place it in the kitchen, the bathroom, which is where most of your household chemicals are because aloe vera can grow to be a very large plant. It's common to have a replant or have, have to replant it in a bigger pot where it's able to continue to grow to its fullest capacity or share it with others so they can plant it their own and produce a plant from it. How to care for it. It's low maintenance, uh, does well being watered on a weekly basis and soaked in some sun, not a lot of light. It can still work its magic under indirect sunlight when placed on a windowsill. Lavender is great to help you relax and stay calm. Uh, you can place it a lavender plant on a nightstand in your bedroom, so it's one of the last things you see before drifting away to sleep. Uh, it's best to keep the plant in a bright area and water it when the soil is dry to the touch. Too much watering can shorten its lifespan. Always dilute lavender oil before applying directly to your skin. Research shows that it may be a hormone disruptor. Uh, peace lilies are great to help you maintain a work-life balance. It's a natural purifier. This gorgeous plant improves the flow of energy in the home as it is neutralizes harmful indoor chemicals. It's also believed to help people flourish mentally, physically, and spiritually. Keep it in your bedroom or work office to help balance all the energies in your space. If talking to your plant is a little out of the box, let its presence be a reminder to you to think of life-affirming thoughts. Maybe stick it in your bedroom. More than likely, you're talking to it in your sleep anyways, or it's listening to you snore like a monster and thinks you're yelling at it. <laughs> This beautiful plant requires indirect sunlight and water once a week or when the soil is dry to the touch. Nice and simple to take care of. Uh, to help you survive and thrive during hard times, try a snake plant. Known to provide a strong protective, protective energy in your space, snake plants are extremely durable and require very little attention. In order to grow, you see them everywhere, hospitals and all that stuff. And I never knew it was called a snake plant. <laughs> Learn something new all the time. It's they can keep your or you can keep your snake plant in the bedroom where you're likely to get most of your rest or any other room in your home so it can sneak up on you and get you. One of the most beautiful things about this plant in particular is that no matter where it's placed in your space, and even if it's neglected for a few weeks, it will still provide you with clean air as it grows resiliently. Simply water it every couple of weeks to keep the soil moist. It's pretty hard to kill, which makes it an easy plant 
to care for regardless of experience. Eucalyptus. This popular plant is known not only for its distinctive and eh, just telemarkers. All right, let's see what they have to say. WKRB, what do you want, telemarker? <laughs> yep. Okay, <laughs> I get so many telemarker calls, and when I'm doing podcasts, I just int- introduce them right to my podcast. <laughs> Okay, that was a little. <laughs> I thought it was a telemarketer that called uh, called me, but that ended up being my nurse from my new neurologist and uh, lady that sets up all my stuff with my new Maven Cloud medication. <laughs> Laughed about it when I <laughs> did the WKRB radio thing, so. But yeah, had to get some things straightened out for that so I can get my new medication sent to me and get it all set up. It looks like it's all gone through, got my copay figured out and everything all set up. And I'll be doing a special podcast down the road telling you how this medication goes. But let's finish off the house plants. Uh, I know we were talking about eucalyptus, I believe, last. If you find yourself feeling a little under the weather, you can create a eucalyptus bath bouquet to bring to your shower by placing a eucalyptus bundle around your shower head and allowing the steam and heat to rise. It'll release the plant's fresh fragrance into the atmosphere. Great to light up the house, too. Get some atmospheric smell in the house going good. Just get it going in a nice, warm, steamy shower. Eucalyptus requires full sunlight and needs to be watered regularly, so keep that in mind if you're going to have a eucalyptus plant. Uh, Besides instantly boosting a home's artistic appearance, studies show that being surrounded by such greenery can help clean the surrounding air, create a sense of well-being, and enhance your life. benefits of plants they can lower levels of anxiety constantly seeing and being around plants helps people feel more calm and relaxed thus decreasing levels of anxiety increases attentiveness and memory being around plants whether at home or work helps improve memory and attention span by 20 percent and can increase concentration they can increase productivity Study shows that employees were more productive when just a few house plants were added to their workspace, reducing stress levels and boost mood. Caring for plants can reduce psychological and physiological stress as compared with mental work. This may be because sharing, caring for plants suppresses sympathetic nervous symptom system activity and promotes comfortable, relaxed, and natural feelings can spark creativity. People are more likely, more creative when surrounded by greenery and natural elements. So, 
get yourself some plants, make your prettify your area, and get some nice orders going around the house. Other than those stinky ones from those dirty socks laying in the corner of the room. But yeah, be good to yourself, be good to everybody else. Don't let telemarketers annoy you. And we'll get back to you with more goodies in the future. Just tell that monster to stay the hell away. All right, time for a, what? Uh, what was it called? Damn it. Ah, come on. It'll be for jogging, running, hopping. No. Racing. No. Oh, yeah. MSL segment. That's what this is. And today, we're going to talk about cog fog. Big annoying pain in the ass parts of multiple sclerosis. Basically, everybody I've met with MS instantly understands the term cog fog, but doctors, not so much. They're like, huh? What the hell are you talking about? By definition, it's a cognitive deficit. It may include problems with thinking clearly, an inability to process information, trouble learning and remembering, problems with organization and planning, slowed processing speed, and lack of executive functioning. Basically, there's so many examples. For instance... Uh, if you love burning candles, you love the scent in your house, and all of a sudden you gotta stop doing that because you find yourself walking away from a multi- multitude of burning candles, which could be hazardous, and just leaving them go and not remembering them, uh, leaving burners on after making dinner can be very worrisome, especially if you leave the house. Uh, I had time, moments where I forgot my name, how to spell my last name. I forgot my wife's name, other family and friends, which is easier to understand forgetting but it's like when you're married to someone or you live with your own self your whole life and you forget you completely forget your last name and how to spell it and stuff like that and you gotta ask someone it's like really um you call people you weren't thinking of calling uh You're losing your mind. You just feel like you're going to snap. You just don't know what the hell is going on. You can have a beautiful concept, story, thought, whatever in your head. And as soon as you open your mouth, it's a big jumble of crap that comes out. You can forget to put makeup on. Forget to put your teeth in. I do this a lot (laughs) with having dentures. Um, I've forgotten to get dressed correctly. I've forgotten many, many things that I should not have. I've shaved just part of my body. <laughs> well, not my body. 
And uh, this is someone talking about their problem with shaving their legs, but I've shaved my face and forgot to shave half of it or whatever. It's a, just a shower thing. I can be in the shower and all of a sudden I forget how to sh- how to use shampoo, how I did shampoo. I f- have a routine I've done my whole life as far as how I bathe myself and I forget moments of how I, how I did them or what I do. And it's like, you know, I don't remember half the time if I did do something when I was in there. And I wash everything or whatever. It's like, I use soap. Did I use shampoo or whatever. It's just constant, constant little mental, mental farts everywhere. But, as with all things, MS cog fog is individual to the person. It results from damage to the myelin, the covering of the nerves and the brain, just like everything else with multiple sclerosis. Each of us has a different lesion load and area affected, hence different degrees and types of cog fog. Everybody's different, so quit fucking comparing yourself and telling me that you know what it's like or you know if someone that's, has that or whatever. It's like, we are like snowflakes. It's a snowflake disease. And you can't make anybody have the exact same brain lesion damage as another person. Sizes can be different. Supports, the amount of them can be different. Uh, there's just so many things that you can deal with that's diff- that would make a person different than other people. And some people don't have spinal uh, area lesions and areas that are damaged. So, yeah, take all that into consideration. Cog fog can come on suddenly, or you might not notice that you've been feeling a bit off for some time before the full onset. <clears throat> Cog fog can hit you out of blue. It's embarrassing. It's scary. It's maddening. Uh, we apologize for things and stuff. People don't know or care. It's like we just we forget things. I'll be talking and all of a sudden I'll get only half of what I'm saying out and totally forget to do the other rest of it. And then I'll get somewhere and say, I didn't mention that at all, did I? So I never really made my point or what I was trying to say. It's like it's like I just started recently catching myself on the podcast, I think just like a week ago or so. I had a couple of comics I read that I totally wanted to talk about certain things and forgot about it. And I had to mention it the next podcast because I spaced it on the last one. I didn't want to leave those things out because I thought they were interesting. But other times it can be a slow build of having trouble here and there before a full, full on cog fog clog happens. I don't know. I got stupid internet weak things popping up on my thing, trying to get me to set up certain appointments and schedules. Ah, I just see a cat come running down the hill, and you know he's outside. <laughs> How the hell did he get out? He was just sleeping in the chair next to me. I don't think the garage door is open, but yeah, 
I am going to have to let the little shit in, so I will split this segment and do a second part in a second. Oh, nah, I don't have to. He just ran off to the left. <laughs> uh, I'll stop it and split it. Alright, I grabbed the cat by the tail and flung his little hairy butt in the door. So let's get back to the cogpog. People who don't have MS can have some degree of cognitive deficits as well. That's typically caused by stress, being tired, age, or a combination of the three. But it's a minor degree of cognitive deficits compared to what it's like to have cog fog. It's transient and often centered around short-term memory, like where you put your reading glasses or having trouble recalling someone's name. MS cog fog is that and so much more. Unfortunately, many people believe that they understand what we're going through because they experience other kinds of cog fog from time to time. So it can feel it can feel so belittling and minimizing when someone without MS says, "I know exactly what you mean." That happens to me all the time too. <laughs> I just want to punch them right in the nose and say, "Yeah, I know." What a bloody nose is kind of like. I, I deal dealt with blood too, before. As <laughs> cog fog often impacts executive functions, like planning or executing on a plan, motivation and verbal and nonverbal memory. It often feels like I just can't think straight. At times, I'm unable to follow process. By that, I mean. I know what that I should I know that I should be doing things in an order but I literally cannot put that together. I I will literally be doing something with my hands and my brain will tell it something absolutely different than what I'm screaming at my hands to do. And it's just oh my god, it's just so frustrating. I at times where I'm writing and I just start jumbling words together that I'm writing down, I I've sat there and just completely forgot how to write. <laughs> I used to tattoo and draw and stuff like that and play around with things, and now I got the hardest time trying to put on paper what I've got in my head. Uh, I'm guessing this I probably said already at times that you can be unable to follow process by that. I mean, I know that I should be doing things in an order, but I literally cannot put that out. I just think I just did say that. That's what I was describing. And there's a Perfect example of Cogpog right there. Just, for instance, I can look at my calendar when I'm in the midst of a Cogpog and see that I'm supposed to have a Zoom call at 3 o'clock, but I can't put together that 
what time it is as I'm looking at the calendar relative to when I'm supposed to be on the call. I also can't find the icon for Zoom and the process of clicking on a link and being brought into a virtual room for a meeting is beyond me. I, I can... <laughs> we do podcasts, uh, video podcasts and stuff. So I can't even figure out how to get myself out of the video at the end of the thing half the time. I'll be walking off with the tablet or whatever, and they're like, "Yeah, hey, we can still hear you. <laughs> so you go, I can't help it. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> it's like, I got to smash the screen. I got to rip the batteries out of this thing. What the fuck? It's like, I hit the leave meeting button. Isn't that enough? <laughs> I don't know. I, getting on the podcast, I finally, well, no, I can't say I finally got it picked working decently i still screwed up half the time but yeah it's simple thing of pushing like one or two little buttons and <laughs> i still screwed up <laughs> like am i i really wasn't this damn stupid many years ago. i was able to do things at a high rate of speed every job i had ever had i made management uh, supervisor foreman and I went to the top everywhere I worked within the first six months to a year. But yeah, it's now I can't even <laughs> go work and do something and look like a person that's ever even cooked before. <laughs> it's just pathetic. I used to be able to put shit out, I used to cook a thing for three to five hundred people no problem i'm having problems just cooking for three people and it takes me about the same amount of time to do this shit as the amount of time i used to do with prep work uh, i make the same recipe 10 times and i forget how to do it every time and, uh, worst part of cog fog for some, is that it can threaten your entire routine and how you see yourself. <coughs> Excuse me. I've always been, or this person's always been a sole keeper of the finances in the family, handled the bills, investments, college savings, more. And then they found they had troubles with all that and would triple, double, and triple pay things, forget to pay other things. I took over our bills and stuff because my wife was stressed constantly and I tell her that it's no problem I got this under control but I have had moments where I have double and triple paid bills uh, thankfully a couple times it was to like my uh, health insurance or, or my not health insurance my life insurance so they supported towards the loan balance and that but it also sucked because I was on that extra money that I could really use for something else but I stupidly paid <laughs> extra on that without knowing <clears throat> but thankfully there's symptoms that can help with things like that too there's tons of apps out there and stuff you can use uh, and you can work with your banker to set up Auto bill paying all that, but that can also that screws me up constantly every month with the auto pays and everything that's coming out. And I got like two bills that send me the freaking thing 
to my email address, plus they send me a paper bill, plus they take out the auto pay. And it's like, what the hell, people? If you're getting the damn money, quit sending me things saying I owe a freaking bill. So I, I get confused and I repay them. I did it with our phone bill a couple times now. I sat there and paid, but that's fine. It just goes to the next balance or whatever. But still, it just when my dad passed away and I closed out their accounts and swept, swapped the accounts over to my name so mom wouldn't have to worry about shit, sat there and ended up double paying a huge like $200 bill for their account which I thought they told me I had to pay to open the new account and they never credited it to my new account and it was just a nightmare it's like all these people it's really screw you if you don't pay attention to what's going on yeah you can set up all kinds of auto fills and all that shit so Look into things like that that can help you with reminders and uh, calendars and all that shit. But there's a lot you can do to cope with the this annoying symptom, especially when you're not experiencing it. Some things, some tips are take advantage of times of clarity. That's the best time to make decisions like setting up auto pay or organizing your belongings. The more organized you are, the better. If everything's in its place, you won't have to spend time looking for it and getting stressed Stressed when you're trying to find it. Uh, have routines and be consistent. Basically, look at your different, your laundry, your cooking, all that stuff, your groceries, trying to make it around your times so that your brain's at its best functioning ability and work things around that. I do as much as I can early in the day. Because I know damn well by 3, 4, 5 o'clock, my body and brain are done. And it's just everything starts shutting down every day. So I take advantage of the times I have early in the day. I used to be a person that liked to sleep till 11 o'clock. Now I can't. I'm lucky if I get to sleep till 8 o'clock. And my poor wife's lucky to get to sleep till 5 o'clock because our freaking cat has her up every day no matter what by 4, 35 o'clock. Even with me going up and letting the cat up, the little prick still wants to come down and wake mom up. Doesn't want want to be up without her. Your brain likes consistency, and routines can give you less to think about. So do not attempt to multitasking. It's not worth it when you have cognitive issues and all that shit. Nobody can multitask. Everybody thinks they can. Uh, it's been proven you can't. And it's just not good. It's going to screw things up. Depression, which is very common in MS, can zap your energy and impact your cognition. Be sure to talk to your doctor and get treated if need be. Um, rest and relax. Both, you know, sleep at night and actually taking time to rest throughout the day can make a big difference. Stress is our enemy in all things, including cog fog. So building in time. For relaxation practices can really help. Meditation apps, taking a few deep breaths, rolling your shoulders up and back, or petting and playing with an animal can all help. The old standard, eat well and exercise, makes a huge difference as well. Be gentle to yourself, find what works for you. Mark it on your calendar and set an alarm to remember to do it. 
If all else fails, forgive yourself, lay down, and vow to come back and try it again later. Find a community that gets it. There's no reason to go through CogPog alone. With the free MS Healthline app, you can join a group and participate in live discussions, get matched with community members for a chance to make new friends and stay up to date on the latest MS news and research. You can find it on the App Store and Google Play. Check those things out. See if they help. Keep that cog fog away. Keep that monster away. And you have a great day. We'll get back to you with more MS stuff soon. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's talk about something I was interested in a long time ago that I've seen different ways, but we used to, we have seen these before in the water therapy style where they did the water treadmills, which is great to take pressure off your body, get you physically moving and workout going without stressing your body out. But now they have the anti-gravity treadmills to help multiple sclerosis patients and other people. Basically, it improves muscle function with more comfortable exercise. So you're in a basically body, bottom half of your body's in a big air chamber. So it kind of gives it an anti gravity feel. It looks cool as hell. I haven't seen one up close, so I'd love to check one out someday. But for people with multiple sclerosis, a disease of the central nervous system. Exercise is a proven way to hold off symptoms of fatigue and loss of mobility. But those same symptoms of the disease can cause such mobility issues in some people with MS that even getting started with exercising is way too difficult. Excuse me, my body's reverting on itself. <laughs> Anti-gravity treadmills, which were created to help astronauts exercise in space may be a solution making exercise more comfortable for people with MS. That's according to a study by the University of Georgia and the Shepherd Center in Atlanta, which found that anti-gravity treadmill training could improve muscle endurance in people with MS, even in the presence of moderate severe disability. Past studies have shown that endurance training can improve muscle function and mobility in people with MS. However, those with moderate to severe levels of disability have substantial mobility impairments that limit participation in traditional exercise activities such as walking, running, cycling, and more. Anti-gravity treadmills allow these individuals to exercise safely without the discomfort of overhead harnesses, which are typically used with bodyweight supportive treadmill training. The system uses a difference in air pressure between the upper and lower body to offset the person's weight. Anti-gravity treadmill systems use lower body positive pressure to deliver bodyweight support, providing a safe way for people with significant walking impairments to participate in treadmill exercise training, which is awesome. And people that are at that point where you just feel like you're never going to be able to walk normal again and do anything, and all of a sudden you're able to work out, 
in ways you never could before. Using a multidisciplinary approach, they found that anti-gravity treadmill training can improve muscle metabolism and endurance in people with MS who have substantial impairments. Uh, I was working in a lab late one night. Uh, We don't want to deal with that. Uh, Consistent with previous studies, they found that increases in muscle oxidative capacity were accompanied by increases in muscle endurance. Higher oxidative capacities are found in healthier muscles. So that's very beneficial to your muscle structure. Additionally, anti-gravity treadmill training improved muscle endurance by approximately 56% on average in leg muscles. The observed improvements in muscle oxidative capacity and muscle endurance indicate that exercise training results in more fatigue-resistant muscles in people with MS. Furthermore, the results demonstrate the plasticity of muscles or the ability of muscles to adapt to the environmental conditions imposed on them in people with MS who have significant walking impairments. So, yeah, if you got access to this, a physical therapist, or something that has this in their building or whatever, or talk to your doctors, ask if you they've heard of the anti-gravity treadmill and see if you can't get a shot at checking one out if there is one in your area. So be good to yourself. Get the shit out of the monster. Be good to everybody else. And we'll get back to you with more good stuff in the near future. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> All right, let's look at how sex life and MS go together. You feel that multiple sclerosis has affected your sex life. You're not alone. Many people with MS experience some degree of reduced libido, interest in, and desire for sex, and diminished sexual pleasure and function, according to a study published in BMC Neurology. However, once you understand how MS leads to problems with sex, you can focus on finding ways to regain your enjoyment of sexual intimacy. MS can directly affect your sexual response and function if it damages the nerves that carry messages from your brain to your sexual organs. That's from National Multiple Sclerosis Society. For men, this can mean difficulty attaining or maintaining an erection, the most common sexual problem related to MS, or difficulty ejaculating. For women, it can mean reduced vaginal lubrication. Both men and women may experience hypersensitivity or reduced sensation in the genital region, and both may have trouble reaching orgasm. 
there also are indirect ways by which MS can interfere, interfere with sexual desire or function. MS-related fatigue or depression, depression, depression can have a libido-dampening effect, as can pain, odd sensations such as pins and needles, tingling in parts of your body or spasticity in your muscles, numbness. Uh, it's uh, I'm I'm asleep from my lower part of my rib cage to my toes, forearms to fingertips. Every sensation, depending on what level of numbness I had that day, because I got it no matter what. It's just different levels at different times. So depending on that numbness factor, it can affect it and everything in different ways as far as feeling and sensitivity and all that stuff. Reluctance to talk about the effects of MS can also be a barrier to sexual activity. Some MS symptoms may be so personal that you have a difficult time telling your partner about them and deciding to simply avoid sex instead, and especially if it's a new relationship and you're trying to decide how to introduce MS into the relationship, what you should tell them, what they should know. It's like, honestly, who gives a shit anymore? This day and age, I don't care. Be straightforward with them. Tell them what you feel, what you can do to help with things, uh, what you're willing to try, whatever, but let them know. Don't try and hide this stuff and push things off. And then I start thinking, well, they don't like me. They want nothing to do with me, all that crap. But bladder and bowel control problems can present some fairly significant challenges. Those kinds of symptoms can are not directly related to sexual machinery, but can interfere with interest and ability to participate in sex. For a single person with MS who may want to have a sexual encounter with a boyfriend or girlfriend, there may be some hesitation and concern with revealing the problems involved. One of the biggest losses is that loss of spont spontaneity because some of the MS symptoms require a lot more preparation. It just, is, I don't know, it just takes so much effort to do things that you may just not want to even waste that time and effort to do it. And half the time when you do waste that time and effort to try and put in the things and then you're shut down in the long run, it just kind of tears at you too. And it's like, well, you don't realize how much it takes for a person sometimes to even prepare themselves to do something and then they get shut down and it's like, oh fuck, it might not be a while before you get that opportunity again. So it's like you want to take advantage of this certain certain moments of life. But yeah, it's it's a two-way streak. So you gotta make things work with each other and definitely don't hide things. The emotional impact of MS can also interfere with sex because it can erode your self-esteem and confidence as well as the romantic relationship itself. Stress of living with MS, for example, might be draining all the energy you once put into the relationship. I used to be a lover, <laughs> sweetheart. Used to focus a lot on the making someone the center of attention, giving and 
just basically romanticizing being that type of person and it's like since the MS has exasperated it's like it's hard to even want to do a date night or anything like that it's like it's, it's just ridiculous it's how it impacts your your lifestyle and things many individuals with MS no longer see themselves as sexually desirable and this negatively impacts their sex lives uh, you know long term in long term relationship MS can sometimes cause role reversals maybe you were the caregiver now you are the one who needs care that can affect a a couple's sex life you're the money maker and then all of a sudden you're the money dependator <laughs> depender and just yeah it's not nice when you're you're at the top of the ladder and you get kicked down and you got to re reconfigure your life and it can make you feel belittled and stuff like that and ms can lead to other stresses such as job loss that can change the experience of sex for an individual or couple any type of change of lifestyle can really affect your lifestyle in the bedroom too but romance and ms don't have to be mutually exclusive although you might find it embarrassing or difficult to talk about intimate concerns communication with both your partner and your medical team is the first step to getting your sex life back on course uh, you can try date night if you want to plan something, but like I said, you don't want to plan it ahead. It's kind of more spontaneous. It's probably easier for some people. But if you can deal with planning ahead, that's a good thing. Or making a certain night of the week or something set up for getting together. Sex often needs to be plan be a planned event for individuals with MS. So plan a time with no distractions and coordinate your medications to optimize your Control of any symptoms that may interfere with sex because our medications can affect a lot of our issues too. Uh, work with your medical team. They make a practice of asking about, make a practice of asking about sexual function as it's often ignored. So if you need to talk about it with your medical team, don't be afraid to just talk to them. They've heard it all. It's not going to bother them. If it does, find a new medical team. Uh, there's lots of treatments that can improve sexual function and help rekindle romantic feelings. Some options include medication, the same oral medications, injections, and implants that are used by men without MS may help those with MS. As long as you're not on certain medications, it's going to counteract act with but it can help with erectile dysfunction. Lubrication, using a personal lubricant, can improve women's sexual pleasure and alleviate discomfort. Therapy, individual or couples therapy, can help both partners work on sources of stress or depression that may interfere with sex, improve communication, and facilitate ways to be more supportive for, of each other. Sex therapy, this form of therapy focuses specifically on sexual problems. After getting to know you, your therapist may suggest techniques or exercises to try at home to help increase your sexual satisfaction. 
but talk with your doctor. Let them know what's up. Uh, talk with them about what treatment or combination of treatments you'd be most helpful for you. Sexual dysfunction is quite common. So chances are your doctor is more comfortable with the topic than you think. Uh, different your talk with your urologist, your therapist. They could may help you with things. Uh, there's tons of sexual uh, adaptive tools and things you can get nowadays, massagers and all that that you can use, and plenty of things out there to enhance your sex life if need be. But just work it out with your significant other. And, let them know what you're going through. Let, let them tell you what they're going through because this is a two-way streak. They may, be, may not have MS, but they may be on a medication that's affecting them. A lot of antidepressants will kill, kill the sex life. It'll just make people not want to not be interested in even bother with sex also. So, yeah, look at them and take them into understand into consideration and see if they're on medications that are affecting the way they feel, see how they feel, talk it out. And if they're your loved one, then they should understand you and should be able to listen to you and you should be able to listen to them and not feel weird about it or have any problems with it. So get together, talk about it, see if you can put the flare back into the bedroom. And we will get back to you with more goodies in the near future. So keep that monster at bay. Keep that monster out of the bed. And we'll talk to you again soon. Time for another MS Health segment. Let's do this. Today we're going to talk about some foods and bad for your anxiety, food, drink, stuff like that that could increase your anxiety issues. Roughly 40 million Americans have an anxiety disorder. If you live with chronic stress or anxiety, you might spend much of your daily life managing it with tools like therapy, mindfulness, exercise, and anti-anxiety medication. But there's other things that may trigger your anxiety and you may want to change some things up and try some other stuff instead. Believe it or not, the beverage often used to quell social anxiety is actually making it worse. Alcohol changes levels of serotonin and the neurotransmitters in the brain, which makes anxiety worse. And when the alcohol wears off, you may feel even more anxious. And drinking in moderation, about one drink per day for women, women, and two drinks per day for men. Haha. <laughs> Another thing we went out on. <laughs> well, damn men get to have twice as many drinks. Uh, is typically safe as long as your doctor gives you the okay. If you want to try something else instead. There's no real substitute for alcohol, but if you need the flavor, which I don't know why you would, I drink to get drunk. I don't drink for the taste. There's non-alcoholic beer. There's also mocktails and sparkling water and fancy bitters. 
if you're drinking that shit, you're just getting extra sugar, sugars and all that shit anyways. So if you're not drinking it for a purpose, I don't know. I don't see the sense of drinking that shit for taste. Although when I was a kid, it was fun to go to a wedding and get a little Shirley Temple or whatever it was. What the heck was the thing where they used the Marciano cherry juice and 7-Up and threw our, all our little cherries and stuff in our drink and made us feel like we were getting wasted like the adults. <laughs> a little fake drunkenness. And then there's caffeine. Uh, basically, the average amount of coffee we drink a day is slightly over three cups per coffee drinker on average. But our favorite morning ritual might actually be doing more harm than good when it comes to anxiety. Typically, caffeine is safe in low doses, but high doses, it can cause unpleasant effects, namely anxiety and nervousness, jitters. Food and Drug Administration, FDA reports that the average adult can generally consume up to 400 milligrams of caffeine daily without dangerous or negative so basically watch the amount of intake uh, many adults and adolescents who consumed more than 400 milligrams of caffeine per day reported anxiety and mood disorders in Starbucks terms a large grande containing medium roast coffee contains about 310 milligrams caffeine that's i usually get a grande i don't know what the hell it is but i just look for the plain straight up cappuccino no foam no extra shit no milk no crap like that just give me my high caffeinated cappuccino espresso whatever the hell it's supposed to be called i don't know why we just can't go up and order a coffee anymore Order small, medium, and large. It's like grande, vente. <laughs> it's confusing as shit to me because I screwed up every time. So I got to write it down or have the wife with with if I want to get a coffee. But if you want to get a Starbucks coffee, don't forget. Go to Highway 33. Say hi to the gang. Tell them you heard about them on the Under the Call of MS podcast. They're a fun group. I've always enjoyed going to that one. Give them a tip. Make their day. Get yourself a coffee. Just one, though. You don't need three of those. Or like my wife has to get two every time we go. Got to put them in the fridge so she can break them down and separate them and make them into little drinks for herself all week. But that way it's not so bad. You're not just chugging two of those big bentleys in one day. So... And it's not as bad, but she still likes all that creamy shit in hers and all that flavoring. But also keep in mind that many products have caffeine, including tea, chocolate, and certain headache medications, and can contribute to anxious feelings. Be very careful with teas. I mean, try them out. I would not suggest trying a new tea late at night. I've had ones that messed with my pulse, slowed my pulse, sped up my pulse. I've had ones that amp me up. I've had ones that had my chest racing. It's like, yeah, so 
I'd say test any new ones out during the day and don't do don't be testing them out at night. Instead, you can try things like herbal teas such as peppermint, lavender, or lemon balm tea, which are refreshing hot drinks with soothing effects. Or you can make a tea like I make when when I'm not too lazy to do it. That's just honey, and now I got CBD honey, so that's an extra bonus. And then honey, cinnamon, lemon. Come on, there's four ingredients. <laughs> oh, chia seeds. So yeah, that's I like that just as a tea as it is. It's like the cinnamon and the lemon and the honey gives it some good flavoring. Combining them three together gives it a nice tea type taste. And then you get your chia seeds for an extra little bonus to help with your gut biomes. But I love that tea, but I'm too lazy to make it half the time. So I don't know why. It's just getting the hot water warmed up and when you walk up to warm up your water and there's a hot pot of coffee sitting there, it's easier just to pour that cup of coffee and say, screw it for the morning. Because <laughs> I just woke up and try it. takes me about two hours. Uh, nowadays, with all the shit that I'm putting in my system, it takes me about an hour to get my body up to par that I can get out and about and doing things. So... Yeah, that's an extra bonus. And then with all my CBDs and tinctures and pain patches and regular medications and special medications, yeah, eventually my body starts moving. Sneaky added sugar. There's no way to avoid sugar 100% of the time as it naturally occurs in many of the foods we love to eat, like fruit, I call bullshit. You can avoid it because I do a six week sugar flush and I completely avoid absolute and all sugars. And it just sucks because you're very limited on what you can eat. But you can do it. But I would not suggest long term because I wrangle the shit out of somebody. <laughs> but added sugar is a contributor to overall anxiety. Added sugar, well, added sugars cause your blood sugar to go on a roller coaster ride of spikes and crashes and. With it, your energy also goes up and down. So when your blood sugar crashes, your mood sours and anxiety levels can spike. I watch that. And your body gets addicted to sugar very, very, very quick. Does not like letting it go. The body releases insulin to help absorb the excess glucose and stabilize blood sugar levels. But a sugar rush makes the body work too hard to get back to normal, causing the highs and lows. Consuming large amounts of processed sugar can trigger feelings of worry, irritability, and sadness. Foods that fall into the added sugar category that you should consider avoiding or minimizing don't all look like desserts. Condiments like ketchup, certain salad dressings, Pasta sauces and breakfast cereals can all contain high levels of added sugar. I mean, pretty much everything in the center aisles may have high levels of added sugar or salt, so watch out for those. 
And if you want to stay healthy, they say shop the outside of the store and stay away from the inside aisles. Instead, you can try things to help your little sweet tooth, uh, like stevia, erythritol, and yakin syrup, Y-A-C-O-N, are natural substitutes for sugar. I don't know what the hell yakin syrup is, but I get natural syrup. We have tons of people in the Northwest that make homemade maple syrup natural, and that way you're not getting all the added crap to it. Go to a farmer's market, pick up a bottle, fill up your plate with fruits and naturally sweet vegetables like sweet potatoes. I call bullshit on that, too, because... Like I've said in the past, if you're running on fresh fruit and it's not fresh, fresh, it's already broken down in its casing and is just turning into bad sugars. So as soon as you pick it off the tree or pick it off whatever, the vine, it instantly starts to break down. And by the time it gets to the stores, I'd say 95%. Of the stuff you have in the fresh produce aisle is already beyond its usefulness. So I suggest getting frozen because from working in the canning factory experience and stuff, I know they bring it right from the fields. We wash it, we clean it, we separate it, and it goes right into the cans or freezer bags and gets flash frozen and stuff like that. Pretty damn quick, so any type of good nutrients you need are going to be locked into them instead of buying stuff off the shelf that's already turned to crap sugars. Take that into consideration. I could be a complete idiot, too. By saying these things, I don't know. They're things I've heard from doctors and stuff, and that's why I go by that advice. And I personally like it anyways because when you buy fruits and vegetables fresh if you don't eat that shit within a few days it's going bad and you gotta deal with all that throwaway and stuff like that and you're buying shit that has stems and you gotta clean it wash it cut it up by the time you cut it up half the weight that you paid for is in the garbage can and if not more because usually like broccoli the tops of the broccoli doesn't weigh shit but the stalks are big thick ass hard stock so it's like you're paying for a stock and you're getting a few heads <laughs> it's like you buy two pounds of broccoli you end up with about half a pound of actually broccoli heads that you're using in the smaller parts of the stock but yeah it's and asparagus i love asparagus but you're chopping off half the stock that's the thick part of the stock so you're Basically, the main part of the weight you're paying for is all for all that shit is either the casing, the stock, stuff, whatever. And, and I'm a dick every now and then when I see broccoli that's listed under broccoli crowns, and they have a huge chunk of stock still left on it. I'll snap that fucker off and leave it in the vegetable section and 
throw my broccoli crown in a bag because it's like I'm paying that extra amount for a broccoli crown instead of regular regular broccoli prices. Then I don't need a big stock. It's stuck to it. I'm just buying the crown. And so, <laughs> but yeah, I'm one of those dicks every now and then just because they got pretty chintzy with it and started leaving extra bulk on that stuff for the weight. So, find carbohydrates have been associated with increased risk of serious health conditions like diabetes, heart disease, and obesity. Refined carbohydrates are foods that have been stripped of much of their fiber and micronutrients. It appears that anxiety is being added to the list of health issues that may be associated with consumption of refined carbs. Uh, Refined sugars and refined grains are the two main types of refined carbs. Refined grains have been milled to remove the fibrous parts, such as the bran and germ, which also removes any of many of the nutrients. There are three common examples of refined carbs are white flour, white rice, white bread, all that white shit. Throw it out. Don't eat it. Stick with the brown. Healthier, non-bleached, non-washed out type items if you need to. Uh, refined sugars come from plants such as sugar cane, sugar beets, and the aguave succulent. Tequila. They've been processed to extract their sugars. These refined sugars are different from the natural sugars. They're found in fruit and dairy products. Common refined sugars include sucrose, table sugar, high fructose corn syrup, and aguave syrup. Uh, Refined carbs are found in many modern foods, including white bread, white rice, pastries, sodas, pasta, breakfast cereals, processed snacks, and meals. All the shit we like. Dry cereals and breads made of whole or sprouted wheat. Even some whole high-carb grains can be very healthy. If you're living gluten-free, try breads or pastas made of brown rice, oats, or quinoa. A small percentage of children and adults in the U.S. have food allergies. Young people with food allergies and sensitivities are at a much higher risk for developing anxiety disorder. Those with food allergies were more likely to have symptoms of separation anxiety, generalized anxiety, and anorexia. This may be especially true in families in underdeserved, underserved community, underdeserved, underserved communities. Uh, children from such communities, those with food allergies, had. Increased symptoms of both social anxiety and anxiety overall. Uh, Adults can be affected too. Uh, Children with, or parents of children with food allergies reported significantly higher levels of stress, anxiety, and depression compared to parents of children with no food allergy. Well, yeah, because you're trying to 
find something to make them happy to eat and then they're complaining about shit and then you got to eat the shit that they're dealing with so you're stressed out and your anxiety's amped up anxiety can result from long-term exposure to a perceived threat if you have food allergies you may face the very real threat of severe reactions food every time you eat it's like my wife with the shrimp. It's like I accidentally tried to kill her a couple times by forgetting that shrimp was part of a dish and then using some of that dish in another dish. <laughs> Next thing you know, her lips are and face is tingling. <laughs> All of a sudden, her face balloons up twice the size. <laughs> but minor worry may help keep you alert. You read labels, check ingredients when eating out, and always carry your epinephrine shot or whatever. But continual worry over food allergies could get out of control. If it does, anxiety can be managed with the right supports, including education, nutritional guidance, counseling, support groups, and medication. You or your child needs help, don't hesitate to contact a medical professional. Talk it over with your doctor, see what what can be done. Some different tonics you could use to adjust your stress and anxiety. Well, actually, this is running pretty long, so I think we'll end it here today. I'll get back to you with some more items in the future to hopefully help you out. Big Chad Monster, we'll get back to you soon.